If you tuned in on the last chapter, you likely know that one of the ideas I had for a chapter revolved around a quantum mechanical focus known as supersymmetry. Uh, just like Hilbert Space, I had absolutely no idea what an S-fermion, or Sfermion, I'm not really sure how to say that, uh, the supersymmetrical vari variation or version of the fermion was. In this chapter, the uh, Sfermion is certain to be discussed and in relatively deep detail. Um, in a class I am currently taking as a sophomore in high school, known to my peers as Honors Earth and Space Sciences, and known to be as, as, a, as an extremely um, easy science class, uh, we, had an, we had a test, essentially. Um, yeah, <laughs> this, this science class is the only science class offered at my school in which astronomy is even somewhat mentioned in the cur uh, curriculum, but essentially... I had a pretty bad test question. Uh, there was a question asking, as easy as it is, as easy as the question is, there's a question asking, which of these is not, which, which of the following is not a uh, an elementary particle or is a particle, a building block of the atom? And one of them was a selectron. And I thought I had heard of it before. To be completely honest, I thought I'd heard of a selectron before, so I decided to search it up upon finishing the test. Obviously got 100, um, not to brag, but I did get 100. Um, and yeah, apparently the selectron does exist. Um, I saw a Wikipedia entry on the Spermion and uh, super partners and all that crazy stuff, and I was quite intrigued. Um, basically, <laughs> Obviously, as I am very curious about stuff like this, I, I decided that I would add it in as an episode. Um, that's essentially what happened. Um, yeah, so as I was interested in this topic, I decided to add it to the list of chapter nodes, this one specifically being chapter 28. Um, or 26, not 28. I don't know why I said 28. 26. As I assume is known today, the concept that is to be understood is the concept of supersymmetry and its role in physics astronomy, and quantum mechanics. So without further ado, let's get into this episode on surrounding and upon the S-fermion, the Sfermion, the Selectron, the superpartner, the supersymmetry, the interesting differences in spin, etc. Without further ado, let's discuss supersymmetry. In previous chapters, it has been noted that many of the subsequent discoveries in particle physics occurred during the late 19th and early 20th centuries. Uh, this is true as we have discussed quantum entanglement, the Copenhagen interpretation, the Hilbert space, or, or and Hilbert space, all of which developed in this particular time frame. Um, in this chapter, the history of the topic is far shorter and far more recent. Uh, the beginning of this concept as even a hypothesized existent remains, existence remains less than 55 years old. Such a young discovery indicates that science is a profound mechanism for growth, first of all, and progression, second of all, um, as even some of the greatest advancements in scientific history have occurred in the short blink of time preceding this moment. Uh, leading into the history of supersymmetry, the topic was first proposed in 1966 by the physicist Hirinari, again, might be saying it wrong. We had the same thing in Hilbert Space, or well, specifically, the same thing in the supernova, not the supernova episode, the uh, entanglement episode. That was a, 
or the Black Holes episode, all three of them. That we had some really wacky names. Um, but anyways, let's just get to this name. Uh, I'm guessing, I assume it is Hironari Miyazawa, Miyazawa, um, who envisioned a supersymmetry relating mesons, mesons, um, which are unstable matter composed of an equal number of quarks and antiquarks that are bound together through the strong interaction. If you really want more information on the strong interaction, I suggest you either uh, look at chapter 19 or podcast episode 19, uh, or you find the links that I put in the description from episode 19, that, or look up uh, the strong interaction. Um, and also baryons, uh, the nucleic matter we know and love that carries an odd number of valence electron or valence quarks, notably three. Um, if you really want, we've discussed this in three episodes in the past, but I think it's still important that we discuss it. Uh, the two subatomic particles comprising the common uh, atomic nucleus are the protons and the neutrons. Uh, both protons and neutrons are made of three quarks. Uh, for the protons, there are two up quarks and one down quark. And for the neutrons, there are there is one up quark and two down quarks. Um, up quarks have a charge of plus two over three, so plus two thirds, um, positive two thirds, and down quarks have a charge of negative one third. Upon formulating this hypothesis, Miyazawa, 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 Mebebaba, uh, did not create it in the context of space-time, but rather in the context of internal symmetry. Uh, for all the for all the two B physicists and astronomers out there, make sure you always propose all of your theories in the context context of space-time, not in the context of dis- disconnected or ambiguous spaces. This is what the this is what Miyazawa messed up in. That that was his mistake. As a result, the paper was largely ignored. But like most science. Not for long. Subsequently, in 1971, two physicists by the names of J.L. Gervais and B. Sakita, 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 Sokotoa. Again, not good at pronouncing words. Uh, there are many links down in the description that will show you the names of those people. So I highly suggest you just look into those because I, I probably made a couple errors in basically saying these names correctly. Uh, so yeah, if, if I have any idea for you, it is to go on Wikipedia and look up, um, Bisakita, S-A-K-I-T-A, and Gervais, Ricky Gervais, so spell it that way. Um, and what is referred to as the Gervais-Sakita rediscovery, um, they're basically, uh, they basically uns- uh, they basically rediscovered supersymmetry, unsurprisingly, because it's supersymmetry, and advanced it into the realms of the quantum field theory, which existed in the context of space-time, rather than specifically to internal Im- symmetry of the different elementary particles. Remember that science is a lot more complicated than it appears. Um, a lot of people hate science because it is complicated, but as much as I wish everyone would love science, Science is even more complicated than it appears. Far more complicated. It's like... I mean, seriously, what like the research that I'm doing on this, the research that I'm doing on all this, like, it is so shallow compared to what is actually happening. What is actually there. Um, like, I haven't even incorporated the mathematical terms into this yet. Uh, as we get later into this, as we get further into this, like, as I'm a senior in high school or beyond then, uh, we it'll be... 
it'll be more based on math than it will be on science. Well, math is science, so it'll be both. It'll be more so math than it was because I love making math episodes. My favorite episode ever was the Hilbert Space episode. I loved making that episode, but it was so difficult to make. It was not easy to make uh, because it was so different. It was just so different uh, than the other ones. But again, that's how it should be. Um, basically, they did a lot. They did a lot just by just by essentially bringing it within the bounds of space-time rather than the bounds of only internal symmetry. And again, this leads back to what I was talking about. Science is more deep than what we believe it, what we perceive it to be. We uh, like to examine this stuff in terms of just the specific situation, the specific event, but we have to incorporate so many other events, so many other concepts, so many other ideologies or theologies or themes or theories just to be able to get a, even a bland or even a uh, even a very rudimentary, scienti- rudimentary uh, scientific interpretation of anything in, our, in the nature in the natural world. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much what it is. Um, they, along with numerous other physicists who discovered such a thing independently of one another, so it was like the Neolithic re- revolution of quantum mechanics, established a relationship between bosons, the elementary particles that carry the forces and the masses. Uh, if you want more information on this, again, see episode 19. We talk about the bosons very, uh, in very great detail. Um, but just to distinguish, the, there are two, well, there are many types of bosons, but I'm going to specifically talk about the scalar and the gauge bosons. The scalar bosons carry the masses, and the gauge bosons carry the fundamental forces. So the gauge bosons obviously, uh, or the scalar bosons obviously carry, the, the, it's like the Higgs boson, the God particle, and then there's also the, there's also the uh, gauge boson, which carries the, uh, like forces, like I think of, I like to think of gravity, strong interaction, weak interaction, and electromagnetic forces as the ones, electromagnetism, you could say, that's better, Um, and then also grouped with the bosons are the fermions, uh, the elementary particles that essentially form the building blocks of matter. Uh, They're categorized into two groups, being the leptons and the quarks. Uh, The leptons obviously include the electron, neutrinos. um, All three of the basic leptons have a neutrino partner. Uh, Muons, 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 and taus. Uh, The quarks include the up quark, down quark, charm quark, strange quark, top quark, and bottom quarks. Uh, The only ones that occur in typical baryonic matter are the up quarks and the down quarks, but every once in a while there is... Um, in some situations, specifically in exotic matter and antimatter and all that crazy stuff, or in extreme situations like in the middle of a quark star or in the middle of a neutron star, uh, you can get not only you can get not only up and down quarks, but you can get bottom quarks, you can get strange quarks, you can get charm quarks, uh, some of the more exotic particles of quarks. Um, and then subsequent advances were made in the novel field of supersymmetry. Um, that existed to essentially establish the theory in the context of particle physics and other core concepts of mechanics. Um, in 1974, Julius Wess and Bruno Zumino 
formulated the features of four-dimensional supersymmetric field theories, which I assume uh, that four-dimensional follows not physical dimensions, but rather the four-dimensional space-time, specifically being three physical dimensions and one time dimension. Space-time is four-dimensional from what we know. From what we know, it is four-dimensional. From what we perceive it to be, it is four-dimensional. Um, the four-dimensional space-time is derived from the three Euclidean dimensions and time, of course, which is not expressed in Euclidean space, but probably could be. Um, I'm sure the physicists forming the basis of supersymmetry operated on Hilbert space, uh, operated in Hilbert space, especially considering the fact that space-time operates in four dimensions, so obviously see chapter 25 for more details. Um, subsequently, the two physicists and a cog uh, colleague, Ag Abdus Salam, introduced the application of supersymmetry into various particle physical models. Uh, again, particle physics, standard model, see episode 19 for details, because when we're talking about particle physics, there's going to be a lot on particle physics. That's, that's basically how it's going to go. Uh, supersymmetry, although not as readily observed and available, is core to physics today. Uh, the concept's mathematical uh, structure known as the as graded lie super algebra. You think your algebra class is bad right now? <laughs> Try doing some super algebra. Um, has been applied to many numerous different scientific fields of study, including but not limited to nuclear physics, which is the study of atomic nuclei and their interactions, uh, critical phenomena, which is the study of critical points in physics, quantum mechanics, which we definitely should know by now if we've been paying attention in the last, like, 15 years of our lives, and statistical physics, uh, which applies statistical models to unobservable, and when I mean unobservable, I mean not observed directly, objects, notably, specifically, uh, subatomic particles. Uh, new theories formulated in the concept or context of quantum mechanics or particle physics generally must cater for supersymmetry, simply because of its successful application to so many different physical concepts. Now, this is all happening without, in spite of the fact that supersymmetry has not ever been observed actually. Like, it has never been truly observed. No one has ever actually observed it. It has never been observed at CERN. It's never been observed at the Planck Institute. It's never been observed anywhere. No particle accelerator has ever observed a supersymmetrical particle, a supersymmetric particle. Um, but now let's just try to get into the concept and understand why that is the case, why that may be the case. Um, as I spoke of in the last chapter and the introduction to this chapter, I have very little, if any, background knowledge on this topic. Uh, while this topic is significantly less difficult to understand and comprehend than Hilbert spaces, seriously, after doing Hilbert spaces, this felt easy. This felt not only easy, this felt simple. Like, I did not have any trouble making this episode at all. I mean, well, I mean, the big thing is, like, you get used to it once you've done it, like, six times, but, like, even so, after doing Hilbert Space, it's good to kind of have a cool down a little bit. Um, I don't know what, next episode we probably will be getting into a little bit more crazy of a topic, but still, I still think it's, I still think it's quite insane that uh, this is considered easy now. Uh, that's that's what that's what happens when you do all this research. I mean, Hilbert space was just—it's really because Hilbert space was just so much more difficult. There is so much to it. Um, 
Even so, it remains a topic that I've yet to study in any particular detail. Uh, thankfully, though, supersymmetry can be discussed and explained in the context of English rather than in calculus, although calculus would certainly enhance a more advanced mathematician's understanding of the concept and also abstract algebra. But anyways, without further ado, the enlightening concept of supersymmetry is upon the... I've been reading a lot of archaic lately, I had to say it. Um, to define supersymmetry in the simplest terms, humanely, or humanly, not humanely, possible, uh, the concept is a proposed relationship between two classes of particles, notably the bosons, which tra transfer masses and interactions, and the fermions, which include quarks and electrons. Uh, the bosons have an integer value, valued spin, basically like 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, etc. until infinity, um, and, and meaning a valued spin. Uh, this is specifically, not, this is not like, oh, it spins once or something. Like, no, this the spin is based on mathematical. It's purely mathematical. I promise you it is purely mathematical. And the fermions, on the other hand, have, an, have a half-integer valued spin. So like one half, three halves, five halves, seven halves, nine halves, eleven halves, thirteen halves, fifteen halves, etc. Um, valued spin. That's essentially what it is. So you can see that there's a difference of a half integer between the two. So there's a one with three halves and one with five. Obviously, the difference is going to be seven halves, right? Yeah. Um. So in supersymmetry, a particle in one group, like for example an electron, a fermion, would have what is known as a superpartner whose spin differs by a half integer value. Uh, think about the fermion and the boson. The boson has an integer valued spin while the fermion has a half integer valued spin. Imagine a boson with a spin of 2 and a fermion with a spin of 3 halves. If one would simply subtract 3 halves from 2, one would discover a half integer value difference between the specifically half integer value difference between the spins of the two elementary particles in all respect it is so much more difficult than this it's not only that there's a lot more that comes into it um but that is essentially the most basic distinguishing of supersymmetry that's essentially what it is um two questions one may be asking me uh maybe asking that i explain uh, would be, how could supersymmetry exist when all bosons and fermions have a difference of a half-integer spin between one another? Uh, like, the two are not even symmetrical in terms of spin, so how could they be considered superpartners of one another? Now, it is true that we have not mentioned the actual symmetries between the two superpartner particles, so that is to be explained now, of course. I understand your frustration with the scientific community there uh, because that's obviously not supersymmetry at all when they're not even symmetrical. Um, supersymmetry involves supersymmetrical versions of each particle in the standard model. Uh, the fermions and the bosons, I'm going to refer them now uh, to them as bosinos, but I've yet to see any technical name for a superpartner boson. I have seen the photino, which is a superpartner photon, which is a type of boson. It is the transfer of the electromagnetic uh, it is the transfer of the electromagnetic force, meaning that it is a gauge boson. Um, the particles of supersymmetry are characterized by having an equal mass to one another in most cases, and essentially every other quantum characteristic, excluding spin, of course. Uh, while fermions and bosons are reliably different from one another, notably in the fact that no fermion can be in the same quantum state as another fermion in any particular time, while the bosons can very well exist within the same quantum state and even occupy the same space, uh, 
um, they are able to have symmetry. They are able to have significant symmetry. They are able to have super symmetry, as we call it. Um, but seriously, though, on a side note, the fact that multiple bosons can occupy the same state is theorized to be responsible for superconductivity, uh, the concept observed when objects abruptly lose electrical resistance following a subsequent drop below a critical temperature, which is usually below 20 Kelvin, uh, which is negative 424 Fahrenheit or 200, negative 253 degrees Celsius. Uh, in supersymmetry, the two seemingly polar opposites of one another, the bosons and the fermions, can exist in a super symmetrical state, super symmetric state. I always get that one wrong, but it, it is it is super symmetric state. Uh, Supersymmetry, like most other concepts in particle physics, has yet to be observed. Um, it is believed that as the theory is cor as as corrected, it should be observed um, at the Large Hadron Collider, uh, operated of course by CERN. As of yet, the Large Hadron Collider hasn't yet to observe and document any of these superpartner particles. So as of now, supersymmetry remains a purely mathematical concept, which essentially conveys that the idea is unproven. Uh, while mathematical proof is proof, um, it is only evidence of enough proof to inspire conjecture. In no way it is, a, is it a mathemat... Like, in no way is mathematical evidence observational evidence. There is a major, major difference. I like to think in physics and in astronomy and in many other scientific fields, the math introduces the topic and gets uh, gets discussion, uh, sparks discussion, but in no way does it prove the theory. It can get us closer to proving the theory, but in no way does it prove the theory. There is nothing greater than observational evidence. Seeing it is much better than believing it. Supersymmetry, while remaining hypothetical, is an important candidate for unproven particle physics and various problems in quantum mechanics. In this section, we are to observe and document some of the many questions in physics that could be potentially solved by the onset and observation of spermions and bosinos. Uh, first and foremost, the grandest of all conflicts in exclusively particle physics is the unification of the known fundamental forces of the universe. Specifically, the strong nuclear force, the weak nuclear force, and the, elect the electromagnetic force, and the gravitational force. If supersymmetry were to be implemented into the standard model of particle physics, see chapter 19 for more details, of course, the contributions of the supersymmetric particles would cancel out the contribu contributions of other particles to the Higgs mass, which solves the problem of the fact that the Higgs mass, uh, the Higgs boson is light, and meaning massless. Uh, not only this, but the three forces in supersymmetric particles, if implemented into the standard model, could have the exact same strength at high energy levels, specifically in the realms of supersymmetry. If this is the case, then the resulting theory would be known as a grand unified theory, this one of particle physics. Uh, such a theory is exceptionally important to our understanding of the universe, of course. Uh, obviously, another significant plus of the onset of supersymmetry as a fundamental concept in particle physics is the fact that it unites two seemingly opposite classes of particles, the fermions and the bosons, together. As, we, as we've discussed earlier in this chapter, uh, supersymmetry is defined as a relationship between two particles of different classes, notably bosons and fermions, which results in a half-integer difference between their spins. Um, but the similarity of uh, of other characteristic characteristics, but potentially including, but not necessarily required to include, um, the similarity of mass. Uh, such supersymmetry allows for the onsets of relationships 
between the bosons and the fermions. So supersymmetry itself solves the problem. Like, it doesn't even require outside guidance, essentially. Uh, it is also believed that the lightest supersymmetric particle in the extended st standard model would be stable, electrically neutral, uh, neutral, and interact, and meaning can interact, although um, weakly, uh, with other particles in the standard model. Uh, the significance of such a concept is the fact that this is exactly what the current requirements for the composition of dark matter are. Uh, dark matter is believed to be a lighter particle that is stable, rarely interacting with anything, including light, and is electrically neutral. Um, a 4x time of 4... Oh my goodness. A 4 times 10 to the 81, uh, 81st power uh, particle symmetry could explain dark matter, the vast majority of the mass in this universe. Obviously, that was pun intended. Um, but, yeah, that's essentially what it is. Uh, proving of supersymmetry could definitely... Uh, help us solve the problem with our understanding of dark matter because we don't understand it even in the slightest. On a more technical level to the first of the problems discussed to, the, to be potentially solved by supersymmetry, there is a problem in f particle physics often regarded as one of the most conflicting of all in physics known as the hierarchy problem. Uh, the hierarchy problem relates to the vast discrepancies between aspects of the various forces that we discussed in the first of these uh, concepts that may be solved, these conflicts that may be solved by the onset of supersymmetry as a reliable and proven scientific concept. Uh, but this relates to the vast discrepancies between aspects of these various forces. The same thing. Uh, most notably, the strength difference between the weak nuclear force and the gravitational force, of which the weak nuclear force is 10 to the 24 times stronger than the gravitational force, among many other situations in which this is the case, or even worse. Um, an example, in an example detailed on the page I'm reading on the hierarchy problem, suppose four parameters, parameters that determine a certain value for any fundamental existence in the universe. Uh, the four values are 1.2, 1.31, 0.9, and 4 times 10 to the 29th power. So the last one is obviously pretty much 4 times 10 to the 29th power larger than everything. Um, the, force, the forces in the universe seem to so balanced as to not create such a wild discrepancy, yet the discrepancy does in fact exist. Um, in particle physics, some of these discrepancies are even larger than the obvious um, discrepancy listed in the earlier parameters. Uh, a question that would immediately come across any in any scientifically educated mind is how could the universe have arisen, arisen to such a stable degree in spite of the massive discrepancy between the strength of the relative forces? How was that possible? Uh, certain fixes, including the anthropic principle, I've attached a link that pertains to the anthropic principle, which attempts to measure the statistical probability or improbability of the rise of our universe, um, could fix this. Um, or there's another fix that could fix this, and that is supersymmetry. As spoken of earlier, supersymmetry could immediate these imbalances and prove to us that our universe is not as wacky as it seems in our ignorant system. Uh, supersymmetry, as it remains an un unobserved concept, is undergoing constant and extensive research in order to prove its existence. 
being that it is so imperative that we begin to bridge the innumerable gap between the different fundamental forces of the standard model and the discrepancies of dark matter, it is understandable that there is a significant amount of experimentation continuing in such an unproven topic. In terms of studies and, observe, and obs, on observe, observation of superpartners, the main attempts at observation continue at CERN. Uh, this is the home of the Large Hadron Collider, as we all know, where hadron, hadron, hadron collisions near the speed of light produce unusual particles that can be used for further scientific study and observation. Numerous tests have been conducted at CERN surrounding and regarding the attempts to observe and verify supersymmetric particles, but as of yet, no study has been proven successful. At the LHC, scientists can gather and generate uh, and be able to point out only rapid decay particles. Uh, most supersymmetric particles are not rapid decay particles. Uh, for example, the selectron, the supersymmetric variant of the electron, is not a rapid decay particle. As a result, they are not easily observed as rapid decay particles. Uh, most studies occurring concurrently are now operated at CERN. Uh, the mathematical concept of supersymmetry is, as of now at least, locked in. Um, even so, more observation and art articulation is needed to form this theory into a cohesive theory. Uh, if it is observed to be incorrect, this entire episode will be irrelevant. That is science. That is exactly what science is. It is good to be irrelevant at one point. That is the humbling part of science, is that you're not immediately right, and opinion matters not. Because if the math is wrong, if the science is wrong, if your opinion is wrong, if your educated opinion is even wrong, you're wrong. There's no, there's no debating with it. If you're wrong, you are wrong. And that's kind of what I like about science, because you don't have to deal with all the craziness that comes in our world of politics and infantile prejudice and debate and insult and demonization um but anyways to conclude supersymmetry is not as heavy of a topic as some of the previous topics that have been covered but i've been very busy lately so it has kind of seemed like that um but it certainly remains a difficult and unusual topic in the field of particle physics uh, to recap, supersymmetry is a relationship between standard model fermions and bosons that is characterized by equal characteristics, including uh, excluding spin and, in some cases, mass. Uh, the spin difference between a two supersymmetric particle partners, uh, partner particles, also known as superpartners, are characterized by half-integer value spin difference, so like one-half, three-halves, five-halves, seven-halves, etc., um, supersymmetry has yet to be observed in nature, but if it is to be observed at CERN, it could lead to an extension of the standard model to accommodate supersymmetrical particles, uh, like the selectron and the photino, resulting in a grand unified theory of particle physics. But of course, it has not been observed yet. Solving the hi uh, hierarchical problem that continues to consume physicists and anyone who wants to understand the universe to this day. Uh, while supersymmetry is yet to be observed, its formulation and understanding has vast implications on the fields of particle physics and quantum mechanics. Uh, this small step re represents a giant leap by humanity towards a cohesive understanding of the laws of nature. Um, but anyways, as always, thank you for listening. Um, and as always, again, have a good morning, afternoon, evening, and night. Take care and stay curious.